We are in part 16 in our series, Heroes of the Faith. We're working our way verse by verse through the book of Acts. So I want to begin by asking you a little bit of a personal question, and it's this. Are you right now in your life facing any type of conflict? It could be conflict in your marriage or in your family with a child, with a granddaughter or grandson, with something at work, with a neighbor, a stranger. One person said this, conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. Are you being frustrated right now because of that certain person, you know, in the cubicle next to you or whatever or at the gym or are you being frustrated? One of the strangest and yet at the same time most humorous stories that I've ever read about a conflict that arose in a marriage, and this is a true story, is about this woman who asked her husband one morning to zip up the back of her dress. And he began to play, you know, she was in need of that, a little hard to get to, and the husband began to just play with that zipper in a flirtatious kind of way, up and down and up and down. Wayne's probably been guilty of this before. He's laughing. And, and he broke the zipper. And she is just absolutely, you know, furious about this because it made her late for work and she's just upset. She's grinding on that all day. And she comes home from work. And as she comes home, she sees her husband working on the car and he's lying underneath the car from the waist up. And he didn't seem to see her approach, so she reached down and grabbed his zipper and began to go up and down on the zipper. And then she, then she just walked into the house, and to her astonishment, there was her husband inside the house. In the kitchen. And she said, what are you doing here? And then she told him what she had done. She, who is that under the car? She goes, that's our neighbor. He's, he's helping me change the muffler. And so in horror, they both walk out there. And as she approaches to apologize, she sees him laid very still. And, and he did what any man would do if you're working on the muffler. And someone, he sat up, knocked himself out. <laughs> Conflict can sometimes lead to embarrassing moments for everyone, painful moments for everyone. Now this morning, we are going to be introduced to a group of heroic believers, heroes of the faith, that intervened in a potentially, I mean, just disastrous uh, issue that was tearing the church apart at, at least this moment in history. Here's our hero of the faith trait. One of the most heroic things you can be is a conflict resolver. Wow. You know, as you, as you think about your life, are, are you a conflict maker? Are you a conflict resolver? Are you a conflict sustainer? Maybe you're not adding to conflict. You're not creating conflict. But, you know, you just you kind of allow it to continue. It just sustains. You're not entering in because it gets a little messy and it's a little scary to enter in 
to conflict. And so it just kind of stays alive around you. Anytime you help resolve conflict, you become a hero of the faith. Conflict resolvers are heroes of the faith. Let me give you just three introductory thoughts, a little bit more here about conflict and conflict resolution before we jump in to what we're going to really study. First of all, conflict is inevitable. If you're in it, it's just inevitable. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have it in your family, in marriage. You know, it, it happens because we live in a sin-cursed world, a fallen world. We're humans. Second, conflict resolution is a skill anyone can learn. It's, it's a skill that you learn. Colossians 3.15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of the one body you were called to peace. Now, we're called to peace, but the means to peace is, is a skill that we need to learn and implement. And if you lack the skill, you're just going to, conflict will just continue. And three, God wants to help us improve our conflict resolution skills. 2 Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We grow in this area. So this morning, we're going to look at a group of believers who are an example. They are heroes of the faith that help resolve a conflict brewing in the church. And if we can implement the skill that they show there with their conflict into our conflict, you can become a hero of the faith as well. This will apply anywhere in life, these principles we're going to look at this morning. But before we jump into that, I want you to be real because one of the things that prevents us from jumping into the things we're going to talk about this morning is fear. What are some of the greatest fears you face when it comes to helping with conflict resolution. Some of us, we see conflict in our family. It's gone on for years or at your work, but you are afraid to get involved. Why is that? And guess what? This is the case with all of us, including myself. So I want you to talk about that a little bit. What are some of your greatest fears that you face when it comes to helping? Be honest, just kind of talk a little bit about that. And I guarantee, I think it's real for all of us. Take a moment, talk about that, go for it. Okay, so this morning what we want to do is we want to talk about how can we overcome these fears. We all know situations, or you're going to find out a situation tomorrow where there's conflict. How can we enter in? How can we speak into? How can we become an advocate for and actually enter into the drama of the conflict and be a resolver? not a sustainer of it or a maker of conflict, but actually move the ball forward toward conflict resolution. And it's a skill again. And the Holy Spirit can teach you this. You can use this at work, family, marriage, neighbors, friends. It doesn't matter. Tremendous insight that we get from this group of people in Acts 15. So hopefully you're in Acts 15 right now because we're going to start going verse by verse through this chapter. We're going to talk about seven conflict resolution steps that I see just one by one by one in this incredible chapter. Uh, my heading 
is the council at Jerusalem. I don't know what your Bible says. That's what my Bible says. But here's the first conflict resolution step. Admit there is a conflict. All conflict resolution begins by admitting there is a conflict. You can't resolve a conflict if you won't admit that there is one that exists. Someone must admit that a conflict exists, and it needs to start with you and me. Now, let me introduce you to the conflict that was brewing in the early church when we come to Acts chapter 15. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Certain people, it begins. Now, the people were called, that's referencing here, Luke is, the Judaizers. Say that word after me, Judaizers. This is a term we give to those who were Jews who believed you were saved by obeying the law. Yes, you had faith in Jesus, but you were saved by also obeying the law. So these certain people, the who? Judaizers, they came down from Judea to Antioch. Now, Judea, they came from Jerusalem, and they traveled all the way north to Syria, Antioch. Antioch was the Gentile church, the great mission-sending church we talked about last week. It was a church filled with Gentiles. And so these Judaizers make their way to Antioch because Antioch is a renowned reputation church. It was all exciting what God was doing in Antioch. And so these Judaizers make their way to Antioch and were teaching the believers, these new believers, unless you are circumcised, ouch, according to the cut. If you don't know what circumcision is, talk to Diane. No, never mind. <laughs> unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, this is part of the law, you cannot be saved. Wow. They were teaching this. Now, what's going on here? Now, remember, the gospel first came to the Jews. Remember, the day of Pentecost, we studied it. Gathered up in a room. They're all Jews. Day of Pentecost comes. The church is born. They, they trust Christ. But there was this kind of group of these early Jewish believers and they found it very, very disturbing and even threatening that Gentiles, watch this, could simply put their faith in Jesus and they'd be part of this thing called the church, the ecclesia, this new creation that Jesus started. It started being called the way, then it became known as the church. And these Jews were like, how can these Gentiles or a bunch of pagans Believe in Jesus and be added to the church like that. And many of these Jewish believers saw Christianity from their point of view as the culmination of Judaism. Many believed if you wanted to become a Christian, you first needed to become a Jewish proselyte. And these Jewish believers could not conceive that pagans, they'd simply enter the church and they're immediately they're on equal footing with Jewish believers. Are you kidding me? These are, you know, idol worshipers. And the issue is not whether or not God wanted the Gentiles to be saved. They believed that, but it was how they were to be saved. These Judaizers were saying, yeah, you need to put faith in Jesus, but you also need to keep the law. You need to be circumcised, and you need to other, do other things as well. Now, let me give you the big picture context 
in the first 700 years of church history, early church history, the church's main leaders that God would raise up, first the apostles, but then later other early church fathers, we call them, they, they met on several occasions to settle doctrinal issues. And historians, they will point to seven, they call them ecumenical councils. The first was, well, this one we're studying right now, the Council at Jerusalem. But then in AD 325, there was the Council of Nicaea, and then AD 425 was the Council of Chalcedon. I'm not going to go through all those of what was resolved in each of those councils, but the most important council was the first one, the Council at Jerusalem that we're studying right now, that met to resolve a conflict and to establish the answer to the most critical doctrinal question of all, which is what must a person do to be saved? And in this council, the apostles, especially Peter and James, as we're going to see in a second, they're going to establish that salvation is totally and completely uh, by grace through faith in Christ alone from apart from any works at all. And, and of course, we praise the Lord for that resolution. Amen? Amen? But what is awesome is not only the conclusion that they make, which we celebrate today, it's the cornerstone of our faith, of Protestant faith, but it's how they arrived at the solution and the resolution, which is just absolutely masterful, which we're going to see right now. And so what we see in this passage beyond the doctrinal clarity with respect to salvation, we see some very, very helpful and wise tips for conflict resolution that can be applied anywhere. And we're going to see them applied here and how it brought resolution. But these tips can be applied in your own life as well. If you're a manager, you can apply these tips in your business. Before any disease can be cured someone must admit there is a disease. Conflict resolution begins by admitting there is a conflict. I know it sounds so simple what I just stated, but I cannot tell you how many couples right now have been fighting for years, and watch this, they don't even know the reason why they're fighting. How many businesses are fighting and they don't even know the reason why they are fighting? I just hate them. Why? You just don't hate people. There's a reason why. And they've never gone to the point of defining the reason why, and they just hate. And if you just hate each other, the battle is with each other. It needs to be on the conflict. Take the battle off each other, focus on the conflict, and you'll resolve it. The enemy wants to keep you angry at each other, because if he does that, you'll never focus on the issue and resolve it. You'll just perpetuate the conflict. And this happens everywhere. We are seeing it politically take place today uh, in our nation like never before, but it happens in the microcosm, in interpersonal relationships constantly. And the enemy just laughs the whole way. It is amazing what happens when you identify what the conflict, what the disease is. You go to the core root of the matter. Hmm. Now, notice kind of what happens. Look at verses 2 to 3. So this conflict arises. You know, you got these Judaizers saying, hey, you got to be circumcised. you got to carry out the law of Moses if you want to be saved. Well, look what happens. Verse 2, this brought Paul and Barnabas 
into sharp dispute and debate with them. So they're talking this over, you know, there in, uh, in uh, Antioch. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to the, see the apostles and elders about this question. And the church sent them on their way. The church there seems to be, most scholars, well, probably a little bit with Antioch, but also Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the church. Somehow the church at Jerusalem got word about these Judaizers going to Antioch, teaching a works-based salvation, and the, Jerus the church at Jerusalem said, we have a problem. Now, Paul and Barnabas knew there was a problem because they were there, you know, arguing with the whole thing there in Antioch. But the church in Jerusalem, uh, the leadership was saying, there is a conflict. We have a problem in Houston, okay? We have a people teaching faith in Jesus plus the Old Testament law equals salvation. They admitted they had a conflict, and furthermore, they spelled it out. They literally wrote out what the conflict was. So let me just ask you a question. Is there a conflict in your marriage or in your family or with your kids or at work or with coworkers? Have you written out what the conflict is? If the conflict lives in your head, it's muddied. It is, it's obscure, and the devil wants to keep it obscure. As soon as you write on paper what the conflict is, you'll, you're going to go, oh, this is hard. At first, it'll be very difficult, but then when you get it on paper, it's almost laughable because you've identified what the conflict is, and now you, that's the first step to resolve it. They identified what the conflict was. We've got Judaizers teaching that you got to do works to be saved. They, they specifically got it nailed here. Have you? The first step to being a hero of the faith in your situation, whatever it is, is just admitting you have a conflict and spelling out clearly what that conflict is. Sometimes I'll meet with, with uh, couples, and they've been fighting for years. And, and, and they'll come in, and they will just fight. They're not, they're not even, they don't even know why. They honestly don't know. And it takes me a while to say, no, 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 what's the issue? And then you get surface issues, and then after a while, then finally you get down to the core issue, and there's just this, like, silence as they look at each other and go, this is what we've been fighting about? It's almost embarrassing and almost in some ways laughable. Seriously, sometimes we all three start to laugh. This is why? And then you can attack it and resolve it when you know what it is. And, and, and I know this is true because it's very quiet right now. <laughs> and now you're going, I've been there as well. In my own family, with different situations, guys, you get all emotional, and yet you don't even know why you're all emotional. We've all been there. You're not the only one. Okay, so the first thing, you've got to identify it. You've got to admit there's a conflict. And, and you will not believe. How, sometimes the, the resolute, you, you go from step one to identifying it all the way to step seven, and you don't even have to go through the other steps because it's so laughable and so easy. Of course, this is the solution. And you know what the resolution is. When you specifically, if you can't write out what the conflict is in one word or one sentence, you don't know what the conflict is. Not a paragraph. It has to be in one, a few words. 
and the enemy does not want you to do that. But I'm telling you, these guys, heroes of the faith, they nailed it. In one sentence, they identified what it was. We have them teaching you cannot be saved apart from works. That was a conflict. Number two, you call for a meeting to discuss the conflict. That's the second thing you do. You say, Mark, that, that's, uh, wow, that's not easy, it's awkward, it's scary, and you're right, it is, all of that, and that's why you're a hero of the faith if you actually do this. A lot of people will just go, no, I'll just, I want to maintain, I'll let that conflict keep going, but no, you become hero of the faith status when you're saying, ah, let's call for a meeting, verses 3 to 4. The church sent them on their way. And as they traveled, this is Paul and Barnabas traveling from Syria up north to Jerusalem down south. They went through Phoenicia and Samaria. They're getting closer. Some of you traveled with me through Israel. You know where Samaria is. And they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad when they came to Jerusalem. Ah, they finally make it to Jerusalem. Why? Because they've been called in for a meeting. Let's discuss this. Someone has to take the initiative to say, hey, let's get together. Let's have a meeting. Let's not let this issue simmer and create more division. No, no, no. Let's, let's deal with it. Let's talk about this. It's calling for a meeting is heroic. It can absolutely change lives. Just a meeting about the issue. It can bring healing when there is pain, reconciliation when there is division. Calling a meeting is never easy, but it is always heroic. It really is. Is God calling you to be a hero of the faith by calling a meeting together? A family meeting with a co-worker, with a spouse, with a relative? You know, I'm amazed that the many times even uh, God in the Old Testament, Isaiah 1.18, God is calling for a meeting with Israel. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. There's a lot of sin in Israel in the book of Isaiah, in the first 40 chapters. And, and, and God says, let's have a meeting. Let's talk about this. Let's see reconciliation. And it's heroic when you call for a meeting. That's the next step. Number three, share what is positive before you focus on the conflict. Now, no matter the conflict or no matter even the relationship you have with the other party or parties, there is always something positive that can be pointed out. I want you to notice how this meeting begins in verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, okay, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders. So Paul and Barnabas come, and, and the church is gathered there in Jerusalem. This is the main body that is leading Christianity at the moment in history. And they're all coming in, and the, all the elders and the apostles are there. And to whom it says they reported everything God had done through them. So the meeting begins, Paul and Barnabas, tell us about the great things that God has been doing. You've been all the way, you know, at Antioch, you've come all the way back through Samaria and everything. Tell us what God is doing. And so Paul and Barnabas, undoubtedly, they're talking about all that the Gentiles who are turning to Christ, they're giving evidence of, oh man, so many of these Gentiles are turning and they're being saved by grace through faith. And uh, because of their simple faith, apart from works, Without obeying the law, I mean, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of shrewdness here in some ways and wisdom as they're leading this meeting. But the principle that I see here is this. It's always wise to share something positive before you go 
dive right into the conflict. Even with couples, when they'll come into my office, um, I'll say, hey, I, I know there's an issue here, but let's start off with just something positive. Paul, what do you love about Sharon? Sharon, what do you love about Paul? I will always get them to say something positive one to another first before we go right into what the issue is. And for some of them, it's been months or years before they've ever voiced something positive. It lightens the mood. It's just a wise conflict resolution tip to bring in, especially if you're moderating a meeting. Uh, then number four, you listen to all sides of the conflict. And I see this in verse 5 where it says, then some of the believers, so, you know, Paul and Barnabas, they share the great things God's doing among the Gentiles. But then it's like, okay, let's bring the meeting to order. All the apostles and the elders there in Jerusalem. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees, now these are the Judaizers, part of this group, stood up and said, ah, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. So you, what I like here is that the apostles didn't block anyone from sharing their point of view publicly in that meeting. It can be very frustrating if you feel your point of view on the matter for which the meeting has been called, you're prevented from even sharing your point of view. So I always like to share, if it's a husband, a wife, or even a group. Okay, each of us, let's go around, let's share our point of view. What do we see is going on here? You give everyone, you don't prevent, especially if you invite and start a meeting, you want to make sure that everyone, you, you've been in those situations before where you're just getting reamed and you can't even tell your story and you never get to tell your story. That is incredibly frustrating. So let everything get out. And it's amazing how much I learn as I'm listening to all these different points of view. You know, even James 1.19 says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Usually in these kind of meetings, they're so emotionally charged, everyone's quick to speak and no one's listening. You got to slow it down. No, everyone be quick to listen. Let's listen to each other. Let's validate, practice reflective listening. Okay, I heard you say this. And, and, and give, yeah, that's what I said. It's, it's getting it out there. So presumably all sides on the matter at hand were discussed. Everyone had opportunity to share. And really there were only two sides that everyone was chiming in about. You had the Judaizers that were saying Gentiles are saved by faith in Jesus plus following the Old Testament law. And then you had Christianity on the other side. Gentiles are saved by grace through faith in Jesus alone, apart from any works. So, all the sides are being voiced. Number five, discuss the conflict in detail now seeking a biblical resolution. When I meet with couples or families or whatever, I will always, before we pray, I will have a Bible on my desk, always. And I always point to the Bible and say, hey, we're going to pray. Here's God's Word. God's Word gives us the answer, the wisdom we need for any situation we're going to face. And we're going to pray that God, sometimes I don't even know why. I'm having a meeting with a couple or whatever. I don't know. They've just asked for a meeting. And I just say, you know, I don't even know exactly what's going on, but I can tell each of you, based on their body language, there's something happening here. But God knows all about it. And guess what we're going to look to? I don't have all the answers, but God does. 
Whatever it is you're facing, God's word has the answer. And so then I'll pray with that in mind. So the premise that a hero of the faith conflict resolver lives by is that God will provide in the Bible an answer for any conflict. The Bible revealed to us a resolution, a principle that if followed will resolve the conflict, any conflict. And and notice what the apostles do, verses 6 to 7, if you would. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, after much discussion, did the apostles and the elders meet amongst themselves only or with the entire church to discuss the issue? We're not exactly sure. Scholars are divided over this. It appears they discussed it among themselves as apostles and elders, but the entire congregation may have been included at some point as well. Certainly the entire congregation was included when all voices were expressed. But then did the apostles and the elders have a meeting separate to say, what is God saying here about this matter? What is the principle that we can follow that will lead to resolution that we can recommend? The point, however, for us is to discuss the conflict in detail until God reveals a biblical principle that can move the conflict forward and be a point of resolution. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So you talk, you discuss. Sometimes this will take not just one session. Sometimes it'll it'll be self-evident and and you can understand what the resolution is, the principle that you apply to that situation. Other times, it takes time. Sometimes there's homework. I give out, okay, go home, seek God's word. Read this book in the Bible. What is God saying to you in your marriage is the principle you need to follow. We've identified the problem. Now what's the resolution? Sometimes that takes time for companies to figure that out for certain departments in a company to figure that out, or individuals. Then eventually what you want to do is, number six, provide a biblical principle to move the conflict to peaceful resolution. Now, in your context at work, it may not be a biblical principle, but you're looking for a principle. And most principles that work are biblical in their core, but you would just not call it that. Okay, we're going to look at the Bible and see, you know, Wayne at work, you know, with all these guys around here that don't know Christ and everything. No. But you're looking for principles that work, that are timeless. So the apostles and the elders, now just look what happens here. They continue to discuss this issue until they come up with a biblical principle and notice then how they share this with everyone. First, Peter tells his experience and conviction about how how Gentiles are saved, verses 7 through 11. So after much discussion, they're trying to come up with a resolution What's the answer to this? Well, they kind of got at it, and now it's this masterful presentation at how to bring this conflict to resolution. So Peter gets up first, okay? He's the guy that, remember, Jesus said, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you, your confession of faith. He got up and he addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Remember that? That was Cornelius. We studied that in the book of Acts. 
God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. They're not second-class citizens, these Gentiles. We received the Holy Spirit the day of Pentecost. They received the Holy Spirit there. Remember Cornelius, all the Gentiles? He did not discriminate between uh, us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. They're pure by faith. Peter, a Jew, is saying this. And all of them know he's the leader you know, of the church. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? We've not been able to bear the law over all these thousands of years. And now we want to continue to put these on the Gentiles? This is what Peter's saying. No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. And they're just kind of listening to this. Then... Paul and Barnabas tell about the signs and wonders done among the Gentiles through them, pointing to salvation by grace through faith. Look at verse 12. The whole assembly became silent. Everyone's listening. As they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Wow. Finally, then James underscores salvation by grace alone and provides a biblical principle to move the conflict toward a peaceful resolution. Look at verses 13 to 19. Now, they finished. When they finished, James then spoke up. Now, James is the half-brother of Jesus. James, son of Zebedee, was executed by Herod, had his head cut off earlier. We studied that. This is the James that the epistle was written by, that James, the book of James. And the half-brother of Jesus, he spoke up. James will become really the leader in Jerusalem of the church. Uh, and he speaks up and he says, Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets. Now he's bringing them, you know, the Old Testament are in agreement with this as it is written. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. And then, then look at this. This is just incredible. It is my judgment, therefore. Now, he's, he's, they've said all this to bring them to one point, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Let's not make it difficult. For these Gentiles that are turning to God. This, this is a masterful principle to literally uh, create harmony in a potentially divisive issue. Now notice, James doesn't say, you know, you Judaizers, you're a bunch of idiots. How could you think that by keeping the law and faith in Jesus, that's going to somehow make us saved, you know? He doesn't do that. He upholds, you know, the, 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 the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, apart from works. But watch this. He doesn't rub it into the face of these Jews who are really struggling with, with these Gentiles that were so pagan, eating food that they just never touched. 
and they're on equal footing with themselves. It was really difficult for the Jews, these conservative Jews that had become Christians to accept this. And, 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 and what's going on here is he is listing, the apostles give this brilliant principle that everyone in that room could agree on. Everyone agreed on it. The principle is this, let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And you could hear everyone in that room going, you know, I can buy that. Yeah, you're right. We shouldn't make it. You're right. God is at work in their lives. Just like, we shouldn't make it difficult for them. Why would we make them want to get circumcised? That hurts. You know, I mean, they're just going through all this stuff, you know. And you're right. Yeah, okay. I can, you know. Then James adds something that at first we read this, and it just sounds like he's contradicting what he first said, and, and, and many scholars struggle with this right here, but when you understand the context, I think it makes sense, especially of conflict resolution. James, James then says, hey, I got an idea. Let's write these Gentiles in Antioch a letter, and let's put in that letter some important things for them. So look at verse 20 and 21. He says this. He says, um, instead, let, let's write them, these Gentiles in Antioch, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every, uh, you know, Sabbath. Wait a minute. James, I don't get this. You just said that salvation is by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. It, it's not having to do anything with the law of Moses. So why are you writing the Gentiles there in Antioch a letter telling them to abstain from pollu food polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from meat strangled, you know, from animals and from blood? Why, why did James add this? Well, remember the principle that he gave here. He gave to Jews. Let's not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. That is a principle for the Jews to help them move forward. Yeah, we shouldn't make it difficult. This, what James is writing here, is a principle for the Gentiles. Let's not make it difficult. For the Jews who are watching you as Gentiles turn to God. This is a big change for these Jews to swallow. The concept of salvation by faith in Christ alone apart from the law was a brand new teaching that for thousands of years was not in existence. And this was a challenge. And James was saying, Gentiles, you've got to be sensitive to your brothers and sisters who are Jews just as they need to be sensitive and understanding of you through your faith brought right into the church of Jesus Christ. This is a statement about fellowship and the preservation of unity into this new thing called the church. The church was just born a year old or so. And there were these tension points between Jews and Gentiles. Let's not make it difficult on the Gentiles turning to Christ Jews. And by the way, Gentiles, don't make it difficult on your Jewish brothers, seeing you brought right into equal standing with them through faith alone and Christ alone. Wow. Gentiles were needing to just avoid being offensive to the Jews. 
not being a stumbling block to their Jewish brothers and sisters. So what James does here is he preserves doctrinal purity, salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, and he also provides a biblical principle to guide everyone toward a peaceful resolution for the matter of hand that was going on in that time in, in, in history. I hope I didn't lose you. This was not an easy thing to explain and, and make relevant for you, but if you get the principle that regardless in any era in history, there are issues, there are conflict that arises. Sometimes it's doctrinally, sometimes it's culturally. You have the same thing going on in your life. And the point is, heroes of the faith provide a biblical principle that leads everyone, and the apostles did, to a peaceful resolution. And it's brilliant. Now, the question, I guess, for you is, what does this look like for you today? I can't speak into that because you have the particulars of your situation. But guess who you have? You have the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you, just like the Holy Spirit led the apostles. And they averted one of the greatest moments in, in history where, the, where Satan could have divided the church and actually crushed Christianity by you know, uh, embracing an aberrant theology that would have derailed the cross of Jesus Christ in Christianity. What is at stake with conflict resolution can be everything. It can be your marriage. It can be your family. It can be your future, whatever. Your company is at stake. There is a lot at stake with you becoming a hero of the faith for your area. So what biblical principle needs to be implemented in your marriage? God wants there, there's no perfect marriage, but God wants there to be peace in your marriage and in your family and in, with your kids. That doesn't mean there's not going to be ups and downs. There will be. Conflict is inevitable. It's going to happen. But every conflict is an opportunity to seek God with these steps and come up with wisdom and a principle to guide us through. The seventh thing you do is you communicate the conflict resolution principle to everyone so that everyone can benefit. And I want you to notice how this unfolds. Remember, back then, they didn't have email. They didn't have cell phones. And so they come up with, okay, we've got to send a letter. Look at verses 22 to 31. Then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to choose some of their own uh, men and send them to Antioch. They're going to go up north with Paul and Barnabas. They chose Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. With them, they sent the following letter. The apostles and elders, your brothers, to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings, we have heard that some, men, some went out from us without our authorization, the Judaizers, and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So we all agreed to choose some men and send them to you with our brother, uh, our friends, Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, we are sending uh, Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You're to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, uh, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Notice he doesn't say you're going to be saved by avoiding these things. Paul and Barnabas and the rest were there to talk about these are the things that will be helpful for salvation, of course. It's by grace through faith in Christ alone. But guys, by doing this, you're going to really help your Jewish 
fellow believers. There'll be peace in the church by you coming at this point to accommodate them. Does that make sense? That's what's going on. And we know the message got through because there was great division, but now there's peace. Look what happens there in verse 30. So the men were sent off and went down to Antioch, where they gathered the church together and delivered the letter. And the people read it and were glad. They're encouraged. All the Gentiles are like, yes, praise the Lord. Yeah, we, we, we can go with this. Praise God. We're saved by grace through faith alone and Christ alone. But we're going to do these things because we don't want to be a stumbling block to Jews. Hmm, that's what's going on. So these seven steps, you know, admit there's a conflict. Don't be like that ostrich that puts its head in the sand thinking that there isn't one. You've got to admit it and then actually spell it out. What is it? Put it into a sentence. Call for a meeting and discuss the conflict. Share, you know, get all sides on the matter. Share what is positive before you focus on the conflict. Listen to all sides. Discuss the conflict in detail. Finding a biblical resolution, a biblical principle. Provide that biblical principle, you know, state it, to move the conflict to a peaceful resolution. Communicate the conflict resolution principle to everyone that should hear it. And I can't tell you how many times I have seen these things work in ministry, in families, in marriages. If we will just humble ourselves and follow these steps, man, it's big time. Okay, I want you to talk about this, of the seven conflict resolution steps. Which one is most important? You know, which one kind of, what, what, what has God most spoken to you about today in our time together? Would you talk about that at your tables for a couple minutes? Go for it. Okay, let me wrap this up. I want to tell you a story, okay? So one of the most heroic things you can do is just be an advocate for conflict resolution wherever it may be needed. And it might be interesting to find out what God is going to do, where he's going to lead you, because these moments, you can become a hero of the faith even on a bus. Uh, I just received an email from one of our Chinese church planners and just shared with me what happened just a couple weeks ago. She's on a bus. It's an hour and a half ride. This is in mainland China, communist country. And a couple enters the bus. There are 40 people totally on the bus. She, they enter this bus. This couple is irate. It's just tension is high, and they are battling. They are just fighting. And it is escalating, and this woman one of our church planners is seeing this take place. And the Holy Spirit is taught, and, and she knows it's going to come to him beating the woman, which is a thing that actually you will see in China in a common manner. It's, it's acceptable publicly if it's merited. She sees this, and so she gets up, and she walks over to them in front of everyone where it's silent on this, and she begins sharing with them, excuse me, and she starts to share the gospel, which is a crime of which she could go to prison immediately if even one person reported. And everyone is listening as she's sharing the gospel with this couple. And this couple is going from seething angry to literally the husband's shoulders just sink down and they're both, their, their heads are down. They arrive at the destination, and everyone gets off the bus, 
and the husband and wife are still there in silence, and they turn to the lady, and they say, can you please tell us more about Jesus? And she led them both to Christ. You just never know what God will do if you just follow his Holy Spirit's leading and you take the first step to enter in. You just never know what may happen. Amen? So, Lord, we want to be your men and women and follow your Holy Spirit's leading with what you've shared with us today. And, Lord, it's just wonderful to know that you're the God who brings about healing and reconciliation, and you use us in the process. I just pray that you would encourage anyone here that is right now going through it, and maybe their head's even spinning, just, but you would meet them in their heart, Lord, and, and move them forward and reassure them that you are with them and that you're the God who does miracles as we trust you and walk with you. So, Lord, meet your people, I pray. Thank you for each one that's here this morning and for the fact that you've had a purpose for being here. Your word builds us up to send us out. And I pray that we'd walk out this week trusting you humbly to be heroes of the faith when it comes to conflict resolution. All God's people said?